uh, this morning uh, as they're passing the baskets back. I'm starting, uh, well, actually, I'm in week two. And today it's just called the cost of discipleship. This is not a lighthearted, half-hearted, pansy message, okay? It's not a feel-good message. This is, man, this is about following Christ. And uh, that's what I want to talk about today. Last weekend, I kicked off Disciple and I talked about what it was to be a follower, a learner of Jesus. And we began to dive into that. You go on the web and catch that anytime. And uh, I just kind of say it now, I'm going to say it again. This Friday night, coming up Friday night, 7 o'clock, 6 o'clock for some of you, be here. We're praying that God is going to fill this room with worshipers. And the church said, yeah, the live recording, man, it's going to be great. I hope you're here. I hope you're bringing people. I know the staff and so many, man, we've just been inviting everybody that breathes. You know what I'm saying? We're just inviting folks to come. We, I, I'm believing that God's going to encounter us Friday night in a powerful way. So I hope that you'll be here. Well, this morning, I want to talk to you about the cost of discipleship. You know, we like to, some of us do, some of you might not, but I love sports and I love to watch championship teams. And, uh, you know, a few weeks ago, watching the NCAA final, man, that was an, a phenomenal ball game. And how they had sacrificed their bodies and had worked all year getting ready for that big contest. And it just continues in the NBA and pro. And, uh, you know, you just, just name a sport. Somebody's always training. But, uh, uh, you know, in football, there's probably a million kids that, that play football. And yet, only 2,500 kids get to go to Division I and play football. So that's like less than 1%. So, you know, but yet they train and they sacrifice trying to get that big deal, trying to make their mama proud. I always like it when pro athletes make it go, hey, mom. They never say, hey, dad. You ever notice that? Hey, mom. And you'll see a car. You know, we've had different pro athletes living in Montgomery, and you'll, you'll see them driving down the road and go, I love my son, yeah, you know, or whatever. You know, like, hey, mom, you know, he bought mom a new pink Cadillac. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, maybe you work for Mary Kay. But anyway, but just a neat thing. Hey, sacrifice, the cost of discipleship. You know, Jesus was real clear, and he talked about counting the cost. And today, uh, this, is, this might be a little hard for you, but, but I really believe if you'll hang in there, if you'll ask the Lord to get your attention, uh, and I, I got a question. I'd write it somewhere. There's white space somewhere. Go ahead and write right now before I finish. You'll probably have it filled up if you like to take notes. What does God require me? That's a great question. Because a lot of times we'll ask you, you remember when you were in, at university or getting ready to go to university or maybe you're just learning to read so you're a little ways from that. But anyway, wherever you are on the spectrum. Do you remember you'd go into a class and you'd go, what do you require of me to pass this class? What do you require of me to do well in your class? And then they would hand you the syllabus. How many of you, praise God, you don't get a syllabus anymore? I mean, wouldn't you love it if your pastor says, in 2014, I'm going to hand out your syllabus for the year? Not a bad, Some of you are shaking your heads. I, I, I never thought about it. Maybe a good idea. But Jesus spoke about counting the cost and what it meant to be convinced and follow him. And, and uh, yet following Jesus costs so much. But in our world, it says the opposite. It says, well, you know, you don't want to go to hell. Just just say that Jesus thing. Just say that prayer. It, it won't cost you very much. I'm going to say it from this platform as humbly as I know. I believe that a lot of people have been deceived by a little simple prayer that they prayed one day in their life. They never repented. They never believed the gospel of grace, and they never, they never followed Jesus. It matters. It's eternal. See, every weekend when I get up, I want to preach like life depends on it because it does. And I hope that you'll trust this Christ and you'll consider the true cost of discipleship. Jesus calls us all to be disciples. 
if we are in Christ, if we abide in him, we need to be disciple. We need to disciple others. And Jesus instructs us here, uh, follow him. Don't, don't follow me for your own gain. Follow me because I ask you to follow me. Follow me because it'll honor my Father in heaven. Follow me because I want you to realign your plan with my plan. This morning, I want you to turn in your Bibles to the 14th chapter of Luke. And starting in verse 25, matter of fact, what we're going to do is we're all going to stand today, and I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. Everybody stand. If you've got a copy of the Scriptures, open it to Luke 14. And listen to God's powerful word for us this morning at Ryan Road. No, this word for all on the planet. A large crowd was following Jesus, and he turned around and he said to them, If you want to be my disciple, you must hate everyone else by comparison. Your father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. But don't begin until you count the cost, for who would begin construction of a building without first calculating? The cost to see if there's enough money to finish it. Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money. And then everyone would laugh at you. And they would say, there's a person who started that building and couldn't afford to finish it. Or what king would go to war against another king without first sitting down with his counselors to discuss whether his army of 10,000 could defeat the 20,000 soldiers marching against him. And if he can't, he will send a delegation to discuss the terms of peace while the enemy is still far away. So you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. There's a phrase that Jesus said several times in that passage. And I want you to hear it today before you sit down. You cannot be my disciple if you're not willing to do this. And those are, those are words that sober us and they're profound. And I hope we'll hear them today and say, Jesus, but I want to be your disciple. Who can be your disciple? You can be seated. So this morning, we're looking at God's Word about being a disciple and following after Christ and what it means to count the cost and what are the, the costs. It's like Jesus said this, and he took a two-by-four, and he hit him across the head. I mean, whoa, man, truth. You know, you are the source of truth. You are God. You illuminate truth. And you just spoke this passage, and, and I bet when he said this, I bet people were not in a feel-good moment. I bet they felt uncomfortable. Just maybe as we did in the room today, we felt a little uncomfortable when Jesus says, you can't be my disciple if you don't do this. If you don't follow me, you won't be my disciple. If you notice in there, he didn't say anything about a prayer. Hey, did you pray a prayer? Did you do this? He said, do you follow me? I know I wear this out around here, guys, but we just got to get it. We live in a religious community. Matter of fact, I heard something this week that makes me cringe. I know why my job's so hard. I love our city. I grew up here. I was schooled here. I've pastored two churches in 31 years. I've been a Christ follower 35 years. I love Montgomery. I love all that come to our city. And our city has challenges. But do you know what's going on right now? It was told to me the other day, if we continue the murders at the rate that we have the first quarter of 2013, per capita 100,000 people, we will be the number sixth murder capital in America. Yeah, Montgomery. 46th in the world, 6th in the U.S. Oh, but let me go to another statistic. Montgomery is known for religion. We're in the Bible Belt. We're the buckle, the buckle of the Bible Belt. And Montgomery, as I was told the other day, I thought this was fascinating. It says the number one religious community in America is some city in Utah. It's the Mormons. 
But guess who ranked number two in this religious survey of the most religious people of communities? Number two was Jackson, Mississippi in Montgomery, Alabama. I'm begging us. Let's don't settle for religion. Let's follow Jesus. It's pretty obvious religion is not working in the church. Wouldn't be so much murder. Wouldn't be so much violence. It wouldn't be so much sin. But let's follow after Christ and count the cost and, and journey with him and decide to be his follower. And Jesus, he nails it. He goes, that's going to cost you. It's going to cost you everything. It, it cost me my blood. I love what Mo did is he had us picture Christ on the cross and what image that did to us. And Hannah saying, lead me to the cross. And that's where I'm praying we go today. Jesus, i got to go follow you. i got to go to the cross. i gotta, I got to go where my sins are forgiven. Constantine, and when he was converted, he wanted to make Christianity a, a legal religion for the people there in Rome. There's a problem when you legalize when you try to force people to do something. I can't force anybody to be a Christ follower. Even if I could, you'd be religious on your best day. You might have the outward legal code, but on the inside, you'd be just nasty and gnarly and not very good. And yet Christ calls us to follow us. I remember years ago, I was reading about Gandhi, wonderful guy that he was, and he was talking with a guy one day, and he told people how much he admired Christ, the teachings of Christ. He read the Sermon on the Mount over and over and would Go and listen to the teachings of Jesus. And somebody asked Gandhi one day, they said, Now, Gandhi, I ask you, why won't you become a Christ follower? You seem intrigued. You seem enamored with the person of Christ. He says, When I meet a Christian who's a true follower of Christ, then I might consider it. Wow. And we know what happened in the rest of the story there. So many, it's easy to... And, and you know, we've got to be careful, Montgomery... We, we can master this religious stuff. And you ask people, you know, I go to some communities and they're not so church, and you can ask them about Jesus, and, man, they don't know, or they want to know, or they've not heard the good news. But you can ask almost anybody about Jesus, and, boy, they, they got a story. They're, man, they're religious. I mean, man, they'll, they'll be tearing it up, drunk, on the way, drugs, high, and they'll be talking about Jesus. You know what I'm saying? Like, man, that ain't the Jesus I'm following. This Jesus is holy. This Jesus is God. And the church said... But in the church, I'm just trying to... You're saying, well, man, why are, you, why are you so fired up about that? Because we graffiti the face of Christ. We paint him up. We mark him up. Now, I know in some cities, graffiti is beautiful. Other cities, graffiti is not so pretty. And even in the best city, graffiti, when it's a public building, you graffiti it. It wasn't meant for that purpose. It cost a lot of money to remove the graffiti. But let's go with this illustration. Ask yourself, have you graffitied the face of Christ? Have you marred it? Can somebody not see a pure reflection of the Savior? So he, in this passage, let's just jump in there a little bit. He goes, what do you mean, hate my family? You know, we know that the church and the, the, the faith is built on Christian values, Judeo-Christian, and, and, and to love the family, and it is. And yet, and you're saying, well, man, this sounds like a contradiction for Jesus. Jesus says, honor your father and your mother. And he says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Hey, do I have a witness? Does anybody pray for people that persecute you besides me? I mean, I'm not persecuting you. I'm praying for people that persecute me, you know? And Jesus said, blessed are you that are persecuted for my name's sake. But Jesus raises this obstacle of families. He talks about hating our family in comparison. Um, Whoever comes to me and doesn't hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yet even his own life, he can't be my disciple. The, the good news, another translation, it tries to soften the blow of this. It says, those who come to me cannot be my disciple unless they love me more than the love 
their father and their mother and their wife and their kids. Now, I don't think Jesus was trying to tell us, all right, I want you to ditch your family and I don't want you to like them. We got enough of that going on, okay? But I think it's a hyperbole. It's an extreme exaggeration. But Jesus is really serious about this. He's trying to snatch their attention. He's trying to say, I want you to have allegiance. Write down the word allegiance in your note somewhere. Jesus says, I want you to have ultimate allegiance to me and to my Father. I want you to love me so much. I want you to love me so much that your family is pale comparison to how much you treasure and honor and esteem me and lift me up above the crowd and even above your family. Now listen to me carefully. I'm a serious family man. I love my family. Everybody knows that. Man, come off. I got pictures of them. Every time I go up to somebody now, I just start showing pictures of my family. Now I show them pictures of Ramsey, and I just show, I just want to tell everybody about my family. Have I showed you lately, okay? And I love my family. I want you to love your family. Don't get me wrong. I fight for families every day, fractured, broken families. I get to see a bunch of them. But I want you to fight for Jesus. I want you to love Jesus more than you love your family. Okay, church? Sometimes it's easy. We can make your, write it down, you can make your family an idol. You can put your family ahead of Christ. And that's, Christ says, I'm a jealous God. I share my glory with no one, not even your family. Allegiance to the kingdom of God, to follow after Jesus, to cling to him, to let him break the bonds that hold us. Let him break the chains that hold us back. And it could be nationality, tribe, religion, family, position, possessions. I don't know what it is. Jesus says, hey, there's, here, here's, here, here's what I'm trying to say. There's no casual discipleship. Jesus says either you're in, you're all in, baby, or you're not. Just make your decision. You're all in or you're not. And you see, I've decided a long time ago, and I'm deciding again today, and I'm asking you to decide in your heart, will you follow Jesus? Will you not be a casual observer, a casual follower? Jesus has no part-time disciples, church. He wants fully devoted, consumed believers that walk after him. In Matthew 28, 19 and 20, we talked about it last weekend, the Great Commission. And he says, go. I want you to go. He said, where do you want me to go? He says, I want you to go and make disciples. And that's for everybody that will trust and believe the gospel and receive Christ as Lord and trust him and say, Lord, I'm going to make disciples. I'm going to follow after you. I'm not assuming, you know, Jesus wasn't assuming that you know, if they think about it, they might do it. It's like people that ask me, do you fast, pastor? Why do we fast? Because Jesus said, when you fast and pray. He wasn't assuming that we would make it a pick and choose. He, he'd already determined that believers would fast and pray for greater works. That's why we do an annual fast. That's why when we fight it. And somebody said, man, I participated this year. Praise the Lord. Maybe next year you will. If you didn't this year. But Jesus says, go on here. Be disciple makers. Know me. Know Christ. And make him known. Run after him. And in this passage, I want you to read it on your own this week, but as you look at it, he's your Lord. He's your master. He's a consuming fire. He's the passion of your heart. It's so easy, guys. I know. It's so easy for us to transfer that allegiance to King Jesus and to put it on something else. That is good. It doesn't have to be sinful. It can be good. How many of you believe your family's good? Well, somebody, you didn't raise your hand. I don't guess you think your family's good. You're like, hey, I ain't had no problem with this. I ain't, I ain't worshiping my family. Oh, well, we, got, we probably need to talk this week about something else in your life. But we, we want to love Jesus. We, we want to follow after him. And then, you know, 
I think they were thinking there was no Christians who thought there was such a thing as you could be a Christian without making disciples. If, if we could get the, the early disciples around the platform today and go, hey, guys, what, what was your charge? Same charge we've got. They just knew, they assumed that everybody would go make disciples because that's what Jesus said. But we forward a couple thousand years and we go, well, this is a, a choice. Uh, you know, it's a decision. Um, you know, that's for the super spiritual type. No, no. It's for everybody. You know, I, I don't know if I've told you this. I didn't become a pastor for the first few years that God was, I mean, when I came to Christ, I just started sharing Christ with everybody, and everybody says, you're going to be a preacher. I said, no, I'm not. I'm going to be a lawyer. They said, no, you're going to be a preacher. I said, hey, I'm not. I was working on a degree, taking all the undergrad law courses and criminal justice and everything. And I said, that's what I'm going to do. And I was working for Caterpillar, and God kept working on me. And I said, I'm going to be the very best whatever I'm going to do in my life and just reflect Christ. And then finally, I had to surrender the call. I couldn't do anything else. I had to do that. But I still think wherever you are, you're to reflect. You're to be Christ. I, I love that you do so many different professions, and you represent so many different walks of life, and you're the best preacher I know. Sidewalk preaching is a lot better than platform preaching because people just know you, and they watch you. And then many times they decide to emulate the life that they see Christ in you as you know him. So he launches out. He says, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men over Matthew 4, 19. Follow me. Walk with me. Know me. Um, you know, if we're not careful, we won't be fishers of men. We'll be keepers of the aquarium. See, that's the, ten that's the sad thing. That that's kind of the hard part of my church. I love the church. I love the aquarium. This is the aquarium. Man, the aquarium looks good. It's got different kind of fish. You're a fish. You're a fish. You're a fish. I don't know who appointed that. Don't, don't, don't write me, okay? And man, you're beautiful, and you got on different dresses and different stuff, and some of us have not hair, and some of us have hair, and some of us have facial and don't, you know, whatever, and, and it's, just, it's just neat, and it's a beautiful little aquarium, and we come to the aquarium every weekend. But my prayer is that we go out and we go fishing. We don't just say, well, let's just keep it all right here. Let's just contain it right here. See, I think this Jesus has got to get out of the aquarium. He's got to get out of the church. He's got to get in the marketplace. How about you, church? You know how he does that? When you walk out. You're going, well, dude, I'm just walking out to go to lunch because you don't kept me a while. Well, okay, well, that's cool. Today, are you going to be if you go out to lunch, are you going to be nice to people? No, man, I'm going to be rude as I can be. I'm going to tip them 2% 2 today. I'm feeling generous. Yeah, I know. They, they tell me about that. I always ask waitresses. I, I go, how do, you, how do you like Christians? How do, you, how do you like people after church? They go, man, it's, a, it's kind of a stiff day. I guess they gave all their money in the plate. Well, it, I don't think so. Some did. Some didn't. Hey, we need to be generous. So if you're not fishing, you're not following. Write that down. Dawson Trotman said that one time. He's the, the, he was head of the navigators. He said, if you're not fishing, you're really not following after Christ. And you're saying, well, I don't have the evangelistic gift. Well, some have a supernatural empowerment to evangelize better than others. I totally agree with that. But I believe we're all to fish, and we're to get the gospel out and say, Lord, I want to honor you. Look at this first blank here. We have a discipleship deficit in our day. We have a national deficit. Some of you have a personal deficit. Deficits, deficits, deficits. They're everywhere. But the one that I really am most concerned about is discipleship deficit. Over weeks and months to come, God is burning in my heart about how to make disciples like never before. Donna, I'll tell you, I've been trying to make disciples for almost 35 years. Sometimes it's been fruitful and effective, and sometimes it ain't been too good. And some of you are disciple makers, and some of you have been disciple, and some of you are still looking at disciples, and some of you are like, I'm running when they start talking about that stuff. 
And Jesus said, don't be casual about it. And we're trying to work on some strategic ways that we can help our church be a disciple-making church. How about that, church? Anybody excited about that? And we're going to try to help you become more like Christ. And I won't give it all away now. God's still forming a lot of this, but I just think it's going to be powerful. Second thing, fill it in. Followership. Followership is what we need. It's fully devoted followers to experience the life and to draw close to Christ. We need to follow that followership. Are we following hard after Christ? We're following something. I promise everybody in this room is following something. Yesterday, Don and I had a wedding, and Hannah was in this big wedding over in Lafette. We went over there, and uh, it was over near Auburn, over near the Holy City. And uh, I ran this guy at a gas station. We temporarily lost our way. And uh, the guy got out and had all his Auburn gear on, Pastor Keys all coat and tie, sunglasses, looking suave like don't like the pastor preaches here. And uh, I'm talking to a guy. And he was, he was telling me all about all. I said, oh, where are they going? Oh, man. Oh, oh. I was like, well, tell me something. All you doing? Oh, oh. He goes, oh, they were great. They're, they're great. I said, was it a quick moving offense? Oh, oh, it was quick moving. I said, how many people showed up? He said, 83,000. Now, I know if you're an Alabama fan, you go, oh, that ain't squat. We do 90,000 on a bad day. You got to remember, hey, we're Auburn, okay? And we had 83. The, he said the biggest crowd before it had been 60,000. I said, well, hey, that's good. I started this verse off. He said, a large crowd followed after Jesus. I believe there were thousands. And yet Jesus could separate some too when he says, now I'm going to speak to your heart. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to follow me. I want you to experience life. You know, this power of fellowship is kind of like Simon Says. Have you ever noticed in Simon Says the leader always looks good? The leader's always looking good in Simon Says. It's all us that follow Simon that look kind of stupid and messed up and awkward. And I ask, are we choosing to follow the leader? Because Jesus will help us, and he'll put us on the right path. There's a a singular, passionate pursuit to be a disciple, to to follow after Christ. And I I just pray this morning the Lord is going to put us on that path, and he's going to show us how powerful this is. In 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 the middle of the page, it says, the three marks of a serious follower of Jesus. I want you to fill this in with me. There can be no rivals no rivals to King Jesus. He, he doesn't share with anyone very well. That's not his nature. I mean, he shares his life. He gave his life away. But he, he, he says, hey, I want you to be my disciple. And, you know, if you don't have the power, the power of the Holy Spirit, then you can't be my disciple. You read this in the Greek, and it really breaks that down. But he says, less than total commitment will not cut it. But a sold-out, wholehearted commitment will make you a true disciple. In verse 26 there, he means love Jesus more than any earthly relationship. He, he shares his reign, his ruling position with no one. There are no rivals to Jesus. So this morning, a very simple thing. Just ask yourself, is there something that's rivaling Jesus Christ in my life? And I wouldn't ask you. It's an introspective. It's for you to decide on your journey. But I would say this morning, some people would go, yeah, there's something that's kind of rivaled Christ. And you, you could fill that blank in. Here, more than filling the blank in, I hope you'll go, Christ has identified it. I want to work on it now. I want to ask him to help me to not put him second or third or tenth or wherever he is. The second one would be there can be no refusal. There can be no refusal to take up your cross and follow him. Every time I read about a cross, it means death. It means dying. It was an instrument of torture. It was an instrument of humility. It was an instrument of blood. It was an instrument of agony. And in this, God calls you and I to die that we might live. 
that we die to our flesh. Some of us are like Pastor Keith. You have strong flesh. And I wouldn't ask you, and I, I know some of you, and I go, yeah, you got strong. And some of you are, do you think I have strong flesh? That's not the question you want to ask me, okay? And then some of you have a little weaker flesh, but it doesn't matter if you got strong flesh or weak flesh. Flesh is flesh, and flesh is sinful. And Christ said, you know, you need to take up your cross. What's the cross in your life? Is it troubles? Is it adversity? Is it hardships? I don't know what it is that you're, that you're facing, that you're dealing with, but Christ wants you to die. And when, when you die, then you live. When Christ died and then was raised, oh my goodness, life like we had never seen. And he gave us the ability to have that life through the resurrection. That we might know him and the power of his resurrection to overcome death. And then the third one is this. There can be no retreat. No retreat. A serious follower doesn't run off in the shadows and hide. They, they advance toward the front line. They advance toward a lost world. They advance with the good news and the love of Jesus. One of my favorite guys in history was Polycarp, a martyr of the faith. I remember reading about him when I was in seminary and persecution mounted up against him and all the Christians of that day from the great political and religious establishments, Polycarp stood, and he stood well. He was the bishop of Smyrna, and he was told, if you will simply deny Jesus and say the words I'm about to tell you, then you can go. You say, well, what were these words? Would you please say, Caesar is Lord? If you'll say Caesar is Lord, you get a pass. Things will work well for you. You can go on. You can have the choice of death or you can have the choice of life, but you've got to choose. Can you say Caesar is Lord, Polycarp? And listen to what he said. He says, 80 and six years have I served him and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? And Polycarp was tortured, was burned, was threatened with burning over standing for Jesus Christ. Do you remember that old hymn, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus? The world behind me, the cross before me. Polycarp would be shouting to us. Stephen, in the book of Acts, would be saying, Stand for Christ. Stand for something, but stand for Jesus. I love when I read that account in Acts. If you read that gospel or that account specifically, the Bible says that Paul, the great persecutor of the church, Saul, Paul, before he was transformed, he okayed, he approved for Stephen to get stoned. And when Stephen was getting stoned because he stood for Jesus, he was a disciple. I love what the Bible says. The Bible says that Jesus was sitting down and Jesus stood up. Whoa! Have you ever walked into the presence of dignitary or somebody special and they got up from their seat of position and royalty? You went, no, 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 you don't have to get up. Can you imagine when King Jesus stood up? Can you imagine what happened in heaven? Now, I'm taking some liberties here, but I'm only imagining. I bet the angels and everybody just went, oh, somebody's in trouble. Jesus just got up. He's a reigning, conquered king. We, we want to make him a baby. We want to make him a dead king. He is a risen. He's a conquering. He's a captivating. He's an all-powerful king. Amen, church? It's Jesus. There's nothing weak about him. 
And he says, follow me. There's no rivals. There's no refusal. There's no retreats. And I'd write this one in. There's no regrets if you follow Jesus. You will not come to the end of your life and go, I only have regrets. I followed Jesus. Now, I've stood before many people's bed. They didn't have Jesus. And by the time some people get into me, I don't know what they're thinking. Hospice has been there for a while, and they're already, man, they're in a coma. There's no way I can share the good news. And I've stood over people's family rooms and in facilities, and I've prayed, and I would entrust them to the keeping of the Lord. But there was no way to really lead them to faith in Jesus Christ at that point. And there was regrets that filled the room. Because Christ was not real. Christ was not Lord. So what I'll say, while you have mind, while you have heart, while you have opportunity, receive and trust and follow Christ. Yeah, just the way you are right now is the silence that I've been in too many times. I hate to see friends die, but I've walked to many a room, hospital or home, and they were strong in Jesus and there was a sense of celebration because they were going to, to the king. They were going to be with Christ. And it was beautiful. But when there's no Christ, and there's a Christless eternity, it's a sad day. Jesus says, follow me. Total commitment is Christ's demand for his followers. I'm all in. I was reading the other day, if you come in my library, I have a whole section. It's called Leadership. I'm a leadership junkie. I read everything I can on leadership. I want to be a better leader. I've got every John Maxwell book almost, and I've got all these books and tapes and CDs and listen to podcasts and will of this and this leader and that leader. And I was reading anything the other day, and I love what it says. It says, send us your students, and we will make leaders of them. You know, colleges love to give you little catchy slogans and send them to our university, and we'll make leaders of them of the next generation. You're like, hey, that sounds good. And I love what Joe Stoll says. He says, send us, us, send us your students, and we will make followers of them. <laughs> See, I don't have a section on followership. I've got a section of my study called leadership. But you can't be a good leader unless you're a good follower. And the church said, are you a good follower? Do you follow Jesus? Do you follow people that are like Christ? Oh, Lord, thank you for this word. Leadership is a temporary assignment, but following is a lifelong calling to follow the master. I heard him call. Would you not turn and follow him when you hear the call of Christ? And so many in this room have, and some are still concerned even today that it begins when I'm uncompromisingly willing to surrender and trust in the presence of Christ. I'll give you this last section. Three things you can do with your life. You could refuse what I'm talking about today and say, I'm not going to count the cost. I'm not willing to count the cost of following Jesus. I'm not going to pay anything. I'm not going to sacrifice. I'm not going to yield. And you can do it, number one. You can just waste your life. You can live your life for yourself, possibly for your family, and get all the possessions and try to fill all the void you can. And you'll come to the end of your life, and you're going to have great regrets. I, I just go ahead and tell you. It's just, it's just going to happen. Or the second thing. You could spend your life. You, you could just spend it, and you could get all go after the world, and more is more, and the cry and the pursuit of this world is never enough, and it never satisfies. And say, so, man, that's my whole life. It's not Christ. It's just the things of this world. So I can spend it. I can waste it. I can spend it. Or the third one, I love this one. You can invest it. You can invest it into the things of eternity. 
You can invest it in the king. You can invest it in the things of the Lord. You can be a follower of Christ and therefore create a thirst for him in others. By the way you live your life, I love being around genuine, sold-out, devoted, wholehearted Christ followers. And so many in this room, that's who you are. And you're Christ to me. And you're Christ to one another. And you're Christ to the world. And it's awesome. But there's some that would not choose to be sold out. And you're, you're, not, you're not creating a thirst for Christ. Creating confusion. And Christ says, it's going to cost you to follow me. And salvation is free, but discipleship will cost you everything. I want you to hear that. Discipleship is free, church. Salvation is free, but discipleship's not. Salvation is going to cost, it costs Christ's blood. And it's free. It's an offering. But man, discipleship, I'm going to have to die that I might live. I'm going to have to decrease that he might increase. I'm going to have to surrender that he might reign. You know the deal. And Christ is just calling us today to be disciples and for Christ, for Christ to be the sinner. There's a song several years ago, I guess Charlie Hall did Christ the Sinner. And as I was thinking about this last point, I was thinking about Christ at the center of our life. And life is like a galaxy. There's always something at the center that defines and directs everything else around it. As the sun is to our solar system, so should the S-O-N, the Son of God, Jesus, be to our very existence. And Christ this morning wants to come to be your and my center. And he wants everything else to orbit, to center around him. He is preeminent. He is Lord. He is master. There is no other. We bow and we worship him. Why don't we give a big round of applause to King Jesus? He wants to be centered this morning, church. He is Lord. So Christ followers have something to do. They have to center around him and follow him. And the closer, here's the deal, the closer we get to Christ, the more we reflect him to the world. But the more I choose to do this and back up and not put him in the spotlight, not put him in the center, I graffiti him. But when I choose to lift him up in his prominent position as Lord, oh, it's glorious, and the glory of God falls. And my Father in heaven, he smiles, and he's happy with that which he has created and called by his name that he's redeemed. He's the consuming sinner. Let's pray. Lord, this morning, I just wonder, do we desire to be your disciple? Lord, I ask this morning, are you working in our hearts and our lives? I pray you are. Lord, I ask a question, are we tired of wasting our lives and living for ourselves and spending it on ourselves and realizing that sin is good for a season? Or Lord, are we determining in our hearts to follow you and to honor you? Lord, this morning, you don't want more attenders at Christ's community. You want more disciples. And Lord, I love followers and I love people and I love a crowd. But God, I'm praying that we get a following of Christ followers. Burn in us. Be the sinner, Lord Jesus. I ask it in your holy name. Amen.